Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back to another amazing, incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. And I ran across a quote from Muriel Strode that I think is really relevant to what we're going to be talking about today. And that is that I will not follow where my path may lead, but I will go where there is no path and I will leave a trail. And we're going to talk about blazing new trails and creating life journeys in a career uh, over a long period of time. And I am so thrilled to have our guest, Sharon Richardson Howell, uh, with us today. Uh, Sharon is the co founder and managing partner of Huntington Hill Ventures. She's a limited partner in the Elevate Capital Fund. She is a TIE charter member since 2012, and that's a global organization that promotes entrepreneurship. She's an engaged board member, and she was recently elected to the TIE Global Board of Trustees. Sharon specializes in growth, operational transformation, partnerships, and strategic storytelling. She's held executive positions in technology, both in mobile and gaming industries, hospitality and service, as well as healthcare companies such as Peace Health, ZoomCare, Regents, and Cambia. Having lived in six different countries with a multi-industry career, Sharon also, in her spare time, got her PhD in business strategy from London, an MBA from UC Berkeley, and USC is her undergraduate alma mater. Serving as an adjunct faculty in Prague, London, and Portland, she rarely turns down an opportunity to teach. Sharon is always giving. She's always helping people get new perspectives and learning. Sharon is also a prolific angel investor across a broad range of industries, an active mentor, and a strong supporter of entrepreneurship. Sharon, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. Who is that person? My goodness. <laughs> you have done so much uh, across your uh, career, uh, both academically, but also in the private sector. And I'd like to just go back. Let's Let's turn the clock back and let's go back as you were coming up. Uh, going through your own primary education, what originally fueled your passion around business and marketing? Because that's been a consistent theme of where you, you've taken your career. And I'm curious, did that really uh, start out at a young age? Was that something that developed over time? How did that come about? Well, you know, as I think back, it was um, definitely my brother. Um, he definitely had something to do with it. Um, I was at a crossroads and he told me that if I grounded myself in a business education, it would enable me to do anything in any industry. And, um, you know, I felt like the skills were so transferable that I would never have to be tied down to one thing. Um, and he was right. What he didn't tell me, though, is that if you were ready to learn about new industries every few few years and you were fueled by that sort of thing, the learning is really immense. Um, and you'll find that Marketing is marketing is marketing. Strategy is strategy is strategy. You know, business is business is business. So I had the uh, fortune of having the landscapes change, but the skills stayed so relevant. Um, probably want to give a second 
uh, credit to a company called GTE, uh, which um, I, I'm sure you remember, Dan, but I'm not sure how many. Remember it well. <laughs> how many of your <laughs> listeners do? But I graduated from USC and I entered this amazing program with GTE that took young graduates, undergraduates who had been identified as having senior executive potential. And then they exposed them to this paid internship with a different subsidiary every six months. Um, and at the end of those rotations, I had telephony, fiber to the home, interactive television, uh, mobile, wireless data, and um, you were able to apply as an internal candidate for a whole slew of jobs that they had across the nation. Um, and I chose GTE MobileNet, which was the cellular division. And it was honestly the best thing I could have done to get my career off on the right trajectory. Yeah, you and I both cross paths in the wireless industry. And, and when we think back to the time there, uh, so much happening in terms of explosive growth, right? The market was just rapidly accelerating out both on the enterprise side, but also the consumer side. Uh, you had um, just very rapid uh, technology innovation. Uh, you had um, intensive competitive activity, and you also had a lot of consolidation a lot of nameplates and brands uh, that were forming, that were going away, that were coming together. It seems like that was such a great training ground for today's digital economy where it's just so dynamic, right? Ever-changing. It always felt to me like the wireless industry was a great place to really get yourself mentally prepared for the rigor, right, around that kind of a world. It was indeed. And um, gosh, I remember managing new products under your guidance, which was one of the most incredible opportunities that came my way. But the new products, I don't know if you remember this, but the new products was everything from, you know, wireless data to a foray for the first time into prepaid cellular. You remember that? Yep. We thought yep. all those, you know, folks would come out of the woodwork that uh, used to have to have the credit checks, right? Um, and suddenly there was a world without those credit checks. We had CDPD, my gosh, like it's just a blast from the past, but... Um, just a time of massive, massive innovation. Um, people, you know, rarely remember that AirTouch, really, that acquisition was all about uh, a pioneer in being a pioneer in wireless data and launching that mobile web for the first time on phones, which really enabled our stock price to go through the roof, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and what at the time maybe seemed... Uh if not impossible, um, not exactly clear in terms of the possibilities now looking back on it in terms of smaller form factors, in terms of more uh, computing power, in terms of just highly um, interactive experiences. It's all kind of come to fruition, but it all started with organizations that really heavily invested in innovation. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. 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 So let's Shift back to you, though, on your journey. Um, and so, you know, you you go through the GTE experience, um, you get well-grounded in wireless. But, you know, if you then look at, at where your path has taken you, you've really been able to go in a number of different directions. There's been some reinvention along the way. And uh, I, I talk to people all the time that have made some career up shifts, or maybe they're considering it. And they they may start down a given path, and then they feel stuck at some point. Maybe there's this this challenge in front of them and it feels insurmountable, but how are you able to remain highly motivated and open to keep expanding your experiences, you know, across such different worlds as the academic and then the entrepreneurial? 
experience? Yeah, you know, it there's there's been a lot I've packed in, right? But there's been one consistent theme, um, and that's really follow the knowledge. And I, I kept telling people that, and I say this in interviews when people are confused by all the number of things I've done and you know how it might apply to to the role at hand. Um, I've just gone through very complex worlds and just followed the knowledge. Every time I wanted to get to a new set of knowledge, there was a new career opportunity out there that would take me to it. I just remember being always vigilant for careers and trends that were occurring at intersections, um, worlds colliding into each other that were different, right? That enabled opportunity. Um, and ultimately, you know, it moved me across six countries, four continents, multiple industries. Um, I've done healthcare, investment, tech, uh, mobile and gaming, primarily in that in that world, uh, service, hospitality, entertainment, academia, nonprofits, and a variety of disciplines, really. So the best advice I can give is that if you're feeling stuck, something's not right. You know, you're in the wrong place, the wrong job, the wrong culture. So you should do all you can to get unstuck and get out. Um, I always feel there are more people willing to help than you know, and um, and you should look with a broad brush stroke. Um, I took you know two runs at academia before I completed my PhD, and uh, I first was a doctoral student at USC, uh, which is you know right before I came to work for you, Dan, and then uh, finally finished at uh, Cass in London. Um, I wanted to teach, I wanted to conduct research as a career, but you know, more importantly, I was feeling like the knowledge I had to apply to business problems I was tackling was limited. And uh, it seemed as though I needed more of an understanding of quant. I needed more of an understanding of strategy. And uh, they, what they say about, you know, academia being uh, some 10 years ahead of business is generally true, um, which reminds me of probably, <laughs> probably do a tune up. <laughs> yeah. So you're touching on something that's really important, I think, which is, um, you know, because a lot of times, you know, people in business that haven't uh, continued to pursue, you know, their to get to advanced degrees, um, they, they may view the the academic world as being a bit sheltered and not um, maybe as relevant to all of the uh, uh, excitement in terms of what's going on out in a uh, startup uh, world. But but what you touched on is the fact that there's a lot of perspective you get, um, a lot of discipline you get in terms of how to think, how to think through problems, how to conduct thorough analysis, right? How to assess. So what are some of the other most meaningful things when you think about your experience in pursuing your PhD and, and being in academia that you think you've been able to transfer over for success in terms of your business ventures? Yeah, you said a key word just now, Dan, which is discipline. Um, I think academia gives you discipline. You've got a, a very finite period of time in which to accomplish something, and uh, you've got to turn it in, right? I mean, no, no matter what happens, the end of the semester is looming. The end of the project has to be, you have to be done with it. Um, I I take a lot from academia and I translate it to business. And I will say that, you know, people who think that, Academia just stays in one in one realm, while while um, you know the applied part of business stays in another. Are not approaching academia in the right way. There are tons of courses out there, tons of um, uh, teachers, professors who you can learn a great deal from, um, and who are at the cutting edge of their disciplines. Um, you've just got to take the right classes. You've got to do your research while you're in the university to make sure that you know you're taking the harder classes and not taking basket weaving, so to speak, right? Uh, 
Um, research, um, you, you learn about how to do good research, uh, how to produce the right KPIs, the right metrics. All of that comes from a grounding in academia. Um, timelines, you know, you'll never be perfect, but uh, you'll get something done within the timeline. Uh, you know, I, I've uh, lived in the Czech Republic and <laughs> it's, you know, when I, when I teach there, we always chuckle about the difference between the Czechs and the Slovaks. And it's um, always surprising to me that there was once a country called Czechoslovakia, right? Uh, because the Czechs and the Slovaks have such different approaches to work and to academia. Um, the Czechs, you know, are really into the art of perfection. So they care less about timelines and much more about perfections. And the Slovaks are much more uh, focused on timelines and getting something out quickly. Um, and they will give up the need for total perfection, right? So all of this, my approach to students and my mentorship of entrepreneurs today uh, are very much the same. I, I take the same approach. I give them the same respect. I give them the same time. I expect the same deliverables. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's much more there between the two than people realize. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. What you were describing there is uh, so common uh, across companies, uh, especially, you know, take the example of product development, where there's this trade-off around time to market uh, versus, um, you know, how thoroughly are we going to test, you know, maybe a new capability, it may be an enhancement to existing product, maybe an entirely new product entering a new category. But there's always that pressure, that balance pressure between speed uh, versus performance. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you so know, you, you know, I have to add, Dan, that uh, while I worked for you, we came up with a product development process that was rather academic, uh, and it worked for Intel, right? I mean, it worked in that environment, and it sure worked for us when we were with US West New Vector. Uh, it was a very disciplined approach that we had to getting new products in and through the pipeline. Yeah, it's it's all about having defined stage gates and criteria, and then being consistent in applying that. And you know, I've had um, uh, various leaders on uh, previous podcasts that have talked a bit about uh, product development and the the idea of having um, a, a common language, common understanding, uh, common process that's repeatable and consistent always seems to come through. So definitely um, plays a big role, but. You mentioned uh, something about your mentorship experience. Uh, you, you obviously love to do that uh, yourself, but let me flip that around, Sharon. So through this journey of yours, uh, what role have mentors played for you? Uh, and, and can you give some examples maybe of how um, at different points of your career, um, it was um, really, really important for you to have that? Yeah, so, you know, I hear... I hear conversations around mentors and it's always like one big mentor or two big mentors. And, you know, for me, I've had the generosity of time and the attention and the guidance by many. Uh, and it's not mentors in the sense that you might think, but I intuitively seem to know where to turn for what, right? And I, and I always surround myself far more intelligent with, with people far more intelligent than myself. Uh, I'm constantly delving into unknown territory so I have to de depend on others for my learning curve. Um, I will say, you know, Dan, you 
taught me very early the importance of balance, the importance of patience, and also the importance of family, because if you don't have those, your work-life balance is definitely off. Um, someone, um, someone who was prior to you, and I know we used to jo- joke about, you know, my, my prior boss, David, he taught me the importance of ethics. He taught me the importance mm-hmm. of sacrifice. Uh, you know, Jack before him um, taught me how to bring passion to work. Um, in fact, I would say, Dan, that your sacrifice for your own career, while you allowed all of us, you know, to leap onto your shoulders, was always, always uh, something I took with me. Uh, and it, it serves me well in my own mentorship of others today. Um, I remember George, um, who, when I entered Regents and Cambia, he was one of my interviewers. And I said, hey, if I get this role, you know, I know nothing about healthcare, And... Uh, uh, would you mentor me if I got this job? And he said, yeah. And we would, once a week, I would get an hour with George and he taught me everything he thought I needed to know. My staff at the time, every one-on-one they would come into, we would take half of the time and we would devote it to teaching me something about their world so I could help them better. Um, I think a lot of this has to be you being open to ask the silly questions. And there are silly questions, by the way. And I ask them all, (laughs) but it's like, you have to acknowledge your frailties, right? You have to acknowledge your shortcomings and your gaps, and you need to know where those intersections are, where you learn the most and you learn the fastest. Um, So I would say, you know, there's a whole wealth of these people in my life who have just been uh, amazing uh, to work with and to learn from. Uh, The whole process of getting a PhD is such a lonely journey. You know, when you're done with your coursework, you just go into this world where it's you and this material. Um, And, you know, people point to uh, gender specific role models and mentors. And I've had uh, certainly my share of women, you know, starting with my mom and Mm -hmm. my daughter, who are among the strongest women I know. uh, And the amazing, immensely brilliant Bridget in my life who met me in undergraduate studies at USC. Um, but there've been men, you know, men who have just been remarkable, um, not just you, not just David, not just Jack, but Brett and Nitin and my husbands, both, uh, both my husbands were inspirational in different ways. You know, um, you knew Clint, uh, uh, yes, yes. He was just, you know, raw energy, right. A superb manager of people, jaw dropping presenter, um, excellent relationship builder, you know, um, salesman, marketer, um, and now, you know, now I've got Dave in my life who is just absolutely brilliant. He's innovative. He's just easily the most honest and ethical person I know. Um, and, you know, don't tell him I said this, please, but he's, <laughs> you know, my intellectual superior. And he gets, he lets me get away with nothing. Um, and all of these influences, you know, for me on my mentorship as I go through my life. Yeah. And, you know, something that I found, Sharon, in the act of mentoring you know, you were mentioning, you know, those uh, sessions with George and how valuable they were, and you were just soaking it in, right, to learn the, the healthcare space. And so you benefit from that as the mentoree, but then the mentor, what I found is there's this benefit of the gift of your time, the gift of your knowledge and experience. It makes you a better person. It makes you a better leader by the act of giving, right? It's the idea of servant leadership. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Sharon, we're obviously still in a rapid 
change in technology acceleration time period? And what do you consider some of the most critical skills that business leaders now need to succeed given just all of the change dynamics, right? Drawing from all of your experiences. Yeah, I think the biggest is introspection. Um, It's the ability to know who you are and what you need next. Uh, Nothing is constant, right? Um, You can, you may or may not be able to take on multiple careers in a single lifetime, um, but you have to believe that nothing is so sacred that you can depend on it to stay constant. Um, there seems to be, there's, there's no career out there that's impervious to change and potentially even extinction, right? So when I say introspection, it's that ability to say, who am I? Where do I want to go? What do I want from life? Um, uh, a mentor of mine when I was at, at Berkeley was uh, a gentleman called uh, David, David Teese, uh, Dr. Professor David Teese, just remarkable in the uh, in strategy and knowledge management, and he came up with this term called negative knowledge, and I've I've really wanted to you know write a write a paper on it someday, and I will I will. Um, it's about the knowledge of failure, you know how you progress uh, through knowing how something failed, and I think it takes you much further than the knowledge of success. Um, it certainly creates more learning opportunities, um, but you have to be able to put your arms around that past of yours, your present and your future, add the introspection, add that negative knowledge, and then change and transform. You know, change is always difficult, right? Change feels just so hard and difficult. Um, But transformation, transformation is different. You know, transformation, if you approach it the right way and you have the right set of skills and tools uh, and you're methodical about it, transformation can be kind of like a butterfly, right? I mean, it seems so much like the right thing that needs to happen. Um, so, yeah, I'd say introspection, negative knowledge peppered in, you know, with a lot of change and a lot of transformation. So true. And Sharon, I know you've been an investor in businesses. You've been an executive providing strategic leadership inside of businesses, but I also know you've been a business owner yourself. And I'm curious, that experience as a business owner, as you think about kind of navigating through uh, this high change, uh, intensely competitive you know, environment that people are facing, kind of what, what did that give you, do you think, that, that has allowed you to kind of forge ahead successfully? As a business owner? Yes. Ask me the question again, Dan. I want to make sure I get this. Yeah, yeah. So as a business owner, what what skills did you take from that experience that you think, you know, has allowed you, you know, even as you've moved into other roles Uh, um, to be more, to help navigate more successfully? Yeah. um, So I become a much more frugal um, corporate uh, manager and, uh, you know, steward of resources having been a business owner myself, you know, the small business owner has such a limited set of resources that you have to depend on other things. Right. And so I start to feel like my teams are lazy around the edges in a corporate environment. If they don't watch our resources, right. It doesn't mean because we have deeper pockets that we should be spending willy nilly. Right. And so I will look, to my marketers, 
to look at more more and more earned opportunities than paid opportunities. And really, you know, um, those are the ones worth worth it anyway. Um, storytelling, you have to be able to approach project management, product management, you know, as though you owned that space. And I always told my, you know, project product managers, you are an entrepreneur. You're, entre- you're an entrepreneur of this product, right? So how do you nurture it? How do you, um, how do you develop it? How do you mature it? And most importantly, when it's time for obsolescence, how do you let it go? Um, and my team at Peace Health would say, you know, get rid of the baby, get rid of the baby. <laughs> it was my chance. I get rid of the baby because, you know, sometimes it's time for obsolescence, but you feel like it's your little baby, right? You yeah. Let it yeah. Go. It's so important to know the difference there. Yeah. That tendency to want to hold on and it's the theory of, Hey, we've put all of this investment and it may be financial, but a lot of times Sharon, it, it felt like it was emotional investment, right? That even comes into play in terms of a reluctance to, to say, you know what, uh, maybe it's time to move on. And, and that can be really, really tough. Yeah. I think honestly, I don't know if you agree with me. I know you've got a long history of product management yourself, but I think obsolescence is the most difficult thing to do. It, it, it truly is. It truly is because uh, again, there's there's the mental, there's the financial, there's the operational ramifications, and it's just sometimes it's just not easy. It's the right thing to do, uh, you know, intellectually, but uh, not only just internally. If you're someone who is kind of in a leadership role, having to make that decision, but you have to get others to be motivated, inspired to do the tough work that's necessary to make that transition, right? If you're talking about transitioning out or, or away from and onto to something else, um, you know, that much more successful. And so it's it, it's rarely done through just the, the work of one person. It's, it takes a well and high performing team. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So Sharon, any other advice um, you'd have for folks that are out thinking about their career journey? And, and kind of navigating through and getting the most uh, out of all that lies in front of them. Yeah, I, you know, I, I love the, the way you, you put that, um, that question. You know, it's, um, it is a journey. And uh, we talked a little bit about introspection before. Um, and they're not all of us that are focused uh, on the importance of a career, right? And so that introspection is important. Uh, you can still have an extremely fulfilling life if there are other things that are more important to you, right? And uh, I, I liken some of this journey as um, so you're on a, on a cruise ship, right? You can take a journey on a comfortable cruise ship. You can devote family time, uh, time to family and friends and food and drink and entertainment right? while you're uh, on this ship. And you can call on one port at a time and you can watch from the ship uh, at the, you know, the lights of the, the port. You can even, without ever disembarking, make contact with the people from the port. Sometimes they come to the ship um, and you can, you can explore the port. But when you disembark, you may just stay in that comfortable zone where you just explore through the vendors and the tourists and 
you still feel a little bit of the of, of the city you came upon, but not quite in the sense as if you were going down alleyways and you were, you know, eating local fare that uh, might even make you ill, right? No. So if you wanted to grab the throttle of life and you want to do it with full force and you want to use your career as part of that journey, then you seek the opportunity to grow and learn, right? You, you want to understand uh, different aspects of this. Uh, and these are not comfortable and they don't always make you happy. I mean, you, you've seen me at work. I've not loved every role. I've not loved every project, not loved every organization. And not everyone I've worked with, you know, has loved working with me. Uh, and sometimes it's about learning what not to do and whom you can't trust. Uh, but in the journey, the journey in every case is magnificent, just absolutely magnificent. Um, my roles have lasted something between one and three years usually. Uh, and I know when I'm interviewing very often as I start to you know, dig into the organization and I get several interviews behind me, very often I know how long this may or may not last. Uh, I'd love roles to last forever, but they've got to keep you engaged, right? And I've got yep. now, God, I'm trying to think now, maybe three, no, four roles behind me now where I approached my manager and I asked to leave and I said, it's time. And the first reaction is always, oh, no, no, you're not going anywhere, right? But, <laughs> yeah. but you have this conversation like, hey, you know, what you hired me to do, my work is done. You don't need me for that. I might be able to do other things for the organization, but, you know, not this role, right? And that's a tough conversation to initiate because you need to have enabled the organization, the team you're leaving behind needs to be able to function just fine without you. You must not fear where your next job is coming from, right? That's difficult, depending on your financial situation. Um, you, you can't fear the time between roles. Uh, some of those times, you know, are the most amazing times. I, I remember my, uh, one of my colleagues at Cambio talking to me about it being his summer of shorts and sandals, <laughs> between roles and he had the best time ever um and i took a sabbatical you know from from campia yeah, and yeah. i had the best time with my my kids uh it had it was a time where you know my um my my first husband had died and we really needed to spend time together as a family um but you should be looking at the journey that's ending as well as what you want to do with the journey that's you know about to begin as well it's, it's not always comfortable, I have to say, if you're going to do this, but it is expansive. It's highly fulfilling. Um, and for me, you know, the ups and the downs uh, and everything in between makes us decidedly human. And that's what living is. It's something that requires a lot of courage because uh, I know a lot of people and, and I talk to colleagues, you know, that are, are maybe considering uh, making a change, making a move. And sometimes um, just staying where you are just feels so much more comfortable, even though there may be stresses and uh, things that aren't great about it. But sometimes just there's this gravitational force that just keeps us where we are. Yeah. But if you can mentally invest in yourself, have the courage to break through, what you're saying is the other side is going to be incredible. Yes, it is. You have to believe it is, right? And time and time again, you'll get involved with an organization and you'll say, oh, gosh, this is horrible in here. Right. There's no there aren't any perfect organizations out there. 
but pick one where your career thrives, where your culture approximates the culture you want to be in, uh, and just do as big a role as you possibly can for as long as you could do it. And then, you know, think about what you want to do next. Uh, there is a there's a company that I cannot name um, in, let's say, in the Seattle area. And every time I meet its employees, its managers, its executives, they all complain about the company. I mean, just vehemently complain about the company. And I always say, what the heck are you doing there? Right? <laughs> yes. It seems like the culture is to kind of complain about the company. Um I don't know that, I mean, and, and I investigated for a period of time whether I could work there, uh, and which is why I got, you know, deeper into the, the guts of the machine than, than I expected to get. But I can't work at a place like that. Like, I, I can't work in an environment like that because it's, a, you know, everyone just complains all day long. Um, or at least can't work there for long, let's say. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm much more about the journey. So when you say journey to me, that's just, an absolutely perfect word to describe one's career. Yeah. Well, Sharon, you certainly have carved out your own path on the journey and you've left us all a trail to learn from. So thanks again for a great conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you. And a reminder to everyone, if you like this podcast, Market Impact Insights, please go out and rate and review. You can do that real easily on iTunes. It means so much. Uh, share it with your colleagues, uh, share it with your friends. Uh, definitely want to get uh, more people uh, involved in listening. And of course, you can always visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.